Hello everyone, it's August 20th, 2019. So Linkspace did a hover test and succeeded. ESA did a parachute test and did not. And Vector Launch closes its doors. So good news and bad news. When it comes to conquering space, what do you expect? I guess you expect us to talk about it. So let's do that and lift off. We've cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 224 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dennis. So I think what we need to talk about at the top of the show is we haven't, I don't think we've talked about it on the show yet. Uh, we're going to go to IAC in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, at the end of October. Yeah. I didn't know we hadn't mentioned that. I guess I just assumed that we did at some point, but yeah, yeah we, we, we should probably get that out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the reason that I, I wasn't sure that we had mentioned it is because on Slack... Um, on the data relay uh, organization, folks were kind of like, are, "Are you guys going to the like like I yeah, mentioned yeah. that we needed mm-hmm. um, programming for that week?" And people were like, "Wait, it's this Scott? What's going on? Is everybody going?" So I figured <laughs> if they don't know, then we probably haven't talked about it on the show. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we hadn't. Yeah, yeah. So um, we've now all officially bought our airline tickets. We all have conference tickets. We have a place to sleep. And so we're going to be there the whole week. We're going Sunday to Saturday, or at least uh, David and I are Sunday to Saturday. Dennis might be taking off Friday night. But if you're in the area, get in touch because we would love to meet up with any listeners. If you have a recommendation of what we should go do, uh, if there's a bar or a restaurant that we should hit. And then we're all going to go to uh, the Smithsonian as well. For sure. Yeah. Um, And so this is going to be a cool week because um, Richard Durden, uh, who runs like all of our like extracurricular kind of stuff. um, (laughs) He's like our fan community manager. He's going to be there and he's going to be going to the conference with us. And then, um, oh, geez, in Data Relay, who's the other Ben? I'm just lucky that oh Ben Cruz. Ben Cruz. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> I'm just I'm just lucky that I understand that uh we're two separate people. Remembering his so name many is, Bens. Yeah. Uh but he's uh in the DC area, so he's gonna come hang out with us. Uh we talked about maybe recording something all together. But yeah, if you're in the area, let us know. We should hang out. It's gonna be we'll yeah. we'll we'll come up with something exact and planned. But mm-hmm. we're just kind of putting it out there. Right now is when you can affect our plans. So go ahead and tell us what you want to do. <laughs> One thing I did that I'm interested in doing, because we're going to be staying uh, in the heart of Washington, D.C.'s very small Chinatown, is that I want to see if there's any good Chinese restaurants. So that's like one small thing Ooh. that I'm actually interested in doing. Yeah, I think good is probably the operative word there. Well, I mean, there's got to be yeah, some good ones. I'll roll with you on that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I will. I will throw down for Chinese food. It's like hard to find good Chinese food. It's it, it's. I mean, well, I guess it depends on like where you live, but it's you know not always a thing because mm-hmm. there's tons of fast food Chinese food, but not yeah. always a good Chinese restaurant. And I I don't think you're. I don't think we're gonna find anything really good because um, they call it Chinatown, but it's, it's really not. Yeah, it's like not Chinatown. anymore. Uh, it kind of got cut in half because of that stadium that they put like right next door. Apparently, I was kind of like reading up on it and. Okay. Uh, there's not much of a Chinatown there. I don't know how much there was before, but it actually was bigger now, not so much. So oh, okay. hmm. I think we're talking about like two or three blocks. So it's not exactly San Francisco, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> or or Chicago. Oh, you know what? We're going to be right next to a Fogo de Chown. True. That, I mean, it's expensive, but holy cow. We had talked about that when we did the Phoenix meetup. Yeah, we the did. Phoenix meetup, <laughs> which was fun as hell, but yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, we're pretty much just in this for the restaurants, but, but uh, <laughs> and the yeah. cool space stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm I'm so looking forward to going back to the Smithsonian because I, I was there as a teenager, and you know I was interested, and I like I wasn't like oh I want to go home. I was like this is really cool, but I didn't. I was being introduced to things, you know. I didn't know what mm-hmm. things were before I got there, and now the opportunity to be able to recognize things is mm-hmm. is really exciting to me. Okay, because yeah, I was wondering that. So so you had gone. I guess just when you were younger, uh, David, you, had you ever been to DC? Yeah, yeah I'd been uh, when I was like, I'm trying to remember. I was actually talking to my mom about it because it was such a long, uh, I was probably like 12 or something like that, but it was a long time ago. And yeah, for me, it's the same thing where I, I was definitely interested, but I didn't know a whole lot. Like I didn't always know what I was looking at. I just knew that there was all this cool space stuff. Yeah, I'd never been period, which is kind of shameful because like that was something I feel like I, you know, had access to for almost two mm-hmm. decades as a kid and i could have been in the same boat as you guys but <laughs> but the thing is that like if you if you live near something it's really hard to go visit it if i ever found myself in that part of the country again i would definitely take advantage of driving distance you know like all the different like major centers that are nearby yeah you, gotta, you don't appreciate that until it's like okay well it's a seven hour drive to the next <laughs> until you're major out the city out here yeah yeah so those are the plans for october uh but our immediate plans right now are for this week in spaceflight history How's that for a segue? Mm. So who do we got for winners this week? We got two. Um, Cy Kyle and Carolyn Hipskind. Man, Carolyn, this is what? Fourth, third or fourth in a row? I'd say on a streak, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the clue from last week was Fleet Feet, which, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> this week in spaceflight history is August 21st, 1959. It was uh, the launch or the failure of Little Joe 1, depending on how you uh, want to think about it. We almost used the clue uh, successful failure because I think we've used it like three or four times now, and it's fun to see how many different situations it applies to. So Little Joe was a little test platform for Mercury. Um, And in fact, Little Joe 1 was, I think a lot of people consider it the beginning of the Mercury space program. It was you know, NASA's first big step towards putting people into space. So Little Joe is just a solid rocket with a mercury capsule strapped to the top. And Little Joe 1 was intended to test the launch escape system as well as the recovery systems. And so uh, it, it's a it's a perfect uh, platform because, like I said, it's just a, a solid rocket. In fact, it's, it's actually eight solid rockets. There are four Pollux engines and four recruit engines. Together, They once they all get revved up, right, because it takes a while to build up thrust, they get up to 250,000 pounds of force that's 1100 kilonewtons so the failure is is kind of interesting they're getting ready to launch this thing they've got it out on the pad and a half hour before t0 the escape <laughs> rocket fired and um you know it, it it was successful in that it pulled the module away from granted a rocket that wasn't exploding but it, it pulled the <laughs> capsule away but that was all that happened uh, none of the parachutes deployed and they weren't able to run recovery efforts so he- here's what happened there was a relay that experienced a transient voltage I- i'm not 100 percent sure if they wired it incorrectly um, but it kind of seems like a reasonable conclusion. Basically, they had batteries that they installed in the vehicle totally empty. And part of the pre-launch procedure was to uh, charge up the batteries. And as the the, the batteries kind of got to the sweet spot where they were charged enough to cause this transient voltage, but not charged enough to completely run the system. So uh, 
they get up to this point, they basically wake up an altimeter circuit. Uh, the altimeter goes, oh, heck, I'm really close to the ground. Better fire the abort motor. Uh, so it you know starts the abort motor firing. But then there's not enough power in the batteries to complete the abort sequence. So the tower doesn't separate and the parachutes don't deploy. Um, <laughs> and so we have... I guess, uh, a failed successful failure. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that, uh, must've been very surprising. Like, <laughs> you know, half hour is early enough that you're kind of just, yeah, you're know, not doing on your, your pre checks yet. and everything, but yeah, you're not expecting that. And then, you know, it's not an explosion. You have something that goes flying, you know, it, it was a 20 mm -hmm. second flight. I mean, this thing really got up high in the atmosphere. And, and so, you know, it's like, no, not an explosion. It's just a loud noise, and then your capsule's gone. <laughs> what the heck? Mm -hmm. What kind of G loads did they experience? Well, not anyone, but yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it's probably close to the maximum that humans can take. So probably 20 Gs over a super short period of time. Uh, I'm not wow. sure. I, I know that the solid rock, the abort motor, was hefty. Um, it accounted for I think a quarter of the mass of the entire uh, capsule system, or at least it, it took up a quarter of little Joe's mass capacity. So, I mean, the, the thing w was pretty hefty. So I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't a comfortable ride. If you, if you had to endure it, I suppose it never is. Right. <laughs> if you have to abort, it's more comfortable than the alternative. Yep. It's true. Yeah. It's crazy that we just still do this stuff. I don't know. I think launch escape systems are just like, there's such a simple way to kind of like, like mm -hmm. simple idea behind it, you know, let's just blast you out of there safely. But like the fact that you get subjected to that, I'm just partially surprised that we even still do this. But. Well, I mean, I don't it think works, there's any right? alternative, right? Yeah, yeah. What else could you do? So yeah, mm -hmm. physics is, uh, is pretty precise about what it takes to survive a explosion. Yep. And that's being very <laughs> far away from it. Yep. That's your only option. <laughs> Yeah, still nutty, but yeah. Cool. And what is next week's clue? All right, next week in 1931, the MMR is important. 1931, yeah, so that is mysterious. I don't know what, you know, <laughs> I'm not privy to this particular event. Monomethyl rydrazine. Ri <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so next week in 1931, MMR is important. All right, I have no idea at all, but if anyone out there thinks that they know, just give us a tweet with the hashtag thisweeksf, and good luck. So first up in the news, Link Space, they did a hover test. Very cool and very successful. So A lot of hovering going on. Yeah. So this company, unlike some other Chinese ones, they're just focusing on liquid engines. Yeah. So of the private-esque uh, Chinese companies, private -esque. Uh, One Space, iSpace, and Land Space are looking at solid motors while Link Space is uh, focusing on liquid engines. And so this was, yeah, one of their kind of liquid engine tests or one of their rocket tests using uh, five ethanol locks engines yeah the rlv t5 so one space in i space and land space they're just doing solids only well they're starting uh, what i've got what i've seen here in the article is that they've opted first to pursue and launch solid propellant launchers okay so this is an ethanol locks engine that's interesting so they're doing a hover test with this is a fuel now obviously that doesn't seem like something that you'd want to used to try to get to orbit so i guess this is just a test maybe like the gnc software like that kind of thing yeah i guess because it could be because yeah, 
the next one after this will be Methalox, and that's the one that's going to go yeah. to space. So, yeah. Yeah, so this was a 300-meter hover, and that was for 50 seconds, and then it came back down and landed within 0.07 meters. So I guess that's really good. Or you have your 2.76 inches. Yeah, because as good as 0.07 meters is, you know, like, that's going to hundredths place but like yeah less than three inches of where they targeted so <laughs> yeah it sounds more satisfying to say within 2.76 inches that's <laughs> that's awesome yeah really impressive what this was their their third flight right so making pretty good progress now was link space they weren't the launch company that had the grid fins on that rocket that was just launched were they or am i thinking of land space that was a, it was a long march actually a long march I yeah. thought it was a. I thought it was one of those private oh. companies. Huh. No, it, no, yeah, it no. was. It was a long march. Yeah. So yeah, not to derail the topic, but I was gonna ask. I didn't get a good view of it, but it looks like those grid fins are they on? I guess they're on the top of the first stage, right? Because it looked like when I was watching at some point, I thought that they were on the bottom of either the first or the second stage. I, I couldn't tell, but I was like, that's a weird placement. So I thought that maybe they were for something other than reentry, because like when you put Griffins on, say ICBMs or whatever, they do tend to be towards the rear of the vehicle. And that's, I guess, you know, to help for roll control and all that kind of thing. Yeah, it tells you the orientation that it's going to fly in. Mm. And so if you put them at the top of the rocket, then it's not for flying up. Yeah. Yeah, no, they, they are at the top of the first stage. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. And they actually released some pretty good onboard footage. So yeah, we, we can confirm that that's the intention. And, and it, it kind of looks like what they're using them for at first is just like roll control, um, not really guidance. Yes, so Sam's pointing out that they're actually attached to the interstage, which is attached to the second stage during yeah. assembly, first stage during flight. Mm -hmm. So th they must have a really, a really weird power system that has to be installed after integration. That's Something like that, yeah. Just before we leave this uh, particular rocket they've got one more kind of kilometer level test and then they're going to kind of move on to the next bigger one that we talked about before the uh the methalox powered uh rlv t6 so just you know the next number in the series and so that one's going to be shooting for 100 kilometers and uh it's a bit heftier so that's a 10 ton ling yun methalox engine i've never heard of that particular engine but yeah ling yun and then they have another one which is like an 80 ton version yeah it sounds like they're already kind of working on the uh the next generation and a more powerful more powerful version of it and so at this point a couple months ago they tested their gas generator so it's still kind of early on in there but it's interesting to see all of these different companies going to methalox yet still we haven't seen one actually fly anything to space but we're getting like right up to the edge of that mm -hmm. um, can't wait to see it actually happen it's kind of like a race to see who'll be the first yeah so sam in the chat wants us to talk about uh jilong the new small sat launcher out of china and so it's it's basically a solid rocket i mean it's it's like a solid engine missile right um, they launched three small satellites uh, with it yesterday, well, Saturday, and uh, it's kind of fun because it's it's sort of like Proton, where the fourth stage engine is actually above the payload. So they, you know, get up into their coast phase and separate the fourth stage, and the fourth stage actually has to flip 180 degrees uh, hmm. before it fires. So Proton at one point had a configuration like that. I don't remember which upper stage it was, um, but it did that. And it, I know that it 
had at least one failure where the upper stage uh, fire retrograde and did a really good job of <laughs> cleaning up space debris before it was an issue. So why do they need to invert the stage like that? Like, what's the, the reason for that? Uh, Sam says it's uh, Energia Polyus was the one that was uh, upside down. Um, I mean, it, it's just structural. Um, that way you don't have uh, you don't have to transmit loads around your delicate rocket engine. And since since Polyus was inside the fairing, it wasn't like you had an inner stage where you could transmit loads through the outer skin. You'd have to build uh, structure inside there. So it uh, it, it can it, if your payload is strong enough to bear the weight of itself and an upper stage on top of it, then you know why not save yourself the extra extra structural material? Hmm. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, it wasn't the the failure that I was thinking of is even more Kerbal than you might think. Uh, it's not that it didn't flip a 180 degrees. It fun a, it spun a full 360 degrees oh, and well, started up its engine. <laughs> um, just oh, it's a very very good failure. Let's move on then to our next uh, news item here. A little. A little disappointing that uh, we're having some more ExoMars parachute issues. Uh, so this seems to be an ongoing thing now, huh? So this was a test of a subsonic 35-meter parachute. I guess just to clarify, right, so this is a mission that's going to use two parachutes, and they have a hypersonic one, which is 15 meters in diameter. Then they have a 35-meter one for subsonic speeds. And I think we talked about it like a couple months ago that they did have an issue with the 15-meter one, which is that it tore. Um, it had like a big radial tear. From what I gather, the same thing happened on this more recent test of the subsonic parachute. I think I think both tore the last time we talked about it. Okay, yeah. So I don't know what they've done to try and resolve it, but they haven't done so. And one thing that's a little bit confusing, so the article that I was reading on Space News, it said that they had observed damages to the canopy prior to inflation. So I don't think that that explains much. So are they saying that it was damaged before they packed the shooter or whatever, or that it was damaged? Maybe it's ripping on the way out? Yeah, like I was wondering if maybe they could make the observation before it fully inflated that maybe it was already damaged. Yeah, well, I, I think... I mean, most most parachute damage happens during inflation, right? It's that change in shape where you're adding new loads to the system that you tend to get damaged. So the fact that it's damaged before, I thought was um, just an indication that you know there's a really a really weird damage mode. But you, you're right; it could have been before they packed it. Although, if you can pack uh, a parachute and not notice a big tear in it. I think there's there's a problem with your yeah. uh, quality assurance. So it, I my instinct is to say that it's during deployment, but you know certainly we don't have enough information to say that for sure. And that would be a much better way of putting it during deployment rather than saying prior to inflation, because <laughs> that's what's really getting me. Well, it, it depends on how specific their data is. So they they might you know if ESA said prior to inflation. You know, Space News or whoever isn't going to be able to be much more specific than that without mm -hmm. prior knowledge. Let me uh, let me rewind a sec here. So ESA, for the previous damage, um, they said that radial tears occurred before this, the parachute reached its maximum load. Um, and so that okay. seems like a better uh, a better phrasing. So inflation, they probably mean maximum load. So what, what they probably mean here is that the damages occurred before that point, which makes a lot more sense, right, as those loads are changing. Mm -hmm. So the previous test, um, they, they said that their improvements were going to be, they were going to um, improve the bags that they pack the parachutes in. 
um, to try to smooth out the, the extraction of the parachute. They were going to reinforce the parachute to limit tear propagation, and then they were going to re-examine uh, the, the folding process. And so it sounds like maybe they thought that they were, well, I, I think obviously they thought that they were successful in making those changes dramatic enough. Maybe maybe they need to go re-re-examine uh, all three of these. Who knows? Yeah, that must have been really frustrating after, you know, you go and implement these designs. You kind of think, okay, you know, we reinforced it a bit, changed this a bit. And so... Don't want to make it too heavy, so let's be reasonable here. Ah, this should do it. And then it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they don't have much time to get this right, you know, because they have to launch uh, between July 25th and, and August 13th of next year. So that's the window that mm-hmm. they have. So they need to fix the issue. So because they have that launch window and they have to make it, they're thinking of maybe doing some ground-based testing because obviously doing these high-altitude drops, which I think are happening in Sweden, right? They're doing them in Sweden. Mm -hmm. They can only do that so often. So maybe if they could do ground-based tests, then they could do a whole lot more of them and, you know, accelerate the process in figuring out what's wrong here. This ain't easy to troubleshoot. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to mention, though, is just the context of this. This is the second half of Mars 2020 with ESA and Russia. Mm -hmm. And so, as we know, the Trace Gas Orbiter from the previous uh, half is doing fine, but Chaparelli did not make the landing. Prior to that, uh, Beagle 2 did not land. So Europe still has not landed anything successfully on Mars. And uh, Russia, okay. as we know, has <laughs> they had that one thing that sem- mm-hmm. it landed and it, like submitted data for like transmitted data for like 10 seconds or something. I think like right half an image that was like sideways and all m- ugly and weird. So yeah, this uh, will be really tragic if they don't really you know get this to work. And so I really really want to see Rosalind Franklin zooting around on the surface there and just having you know cause the chalk taking nice images too. That's going to be pretty sweet. Just wanted to highlight that. Yeah. And we have a third topic this week. Sadly, Vector launch closes its doors. So this is the end of Vector apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like it. So, so basically, you know, they've got three locations up and running across the U.S. And everybody was working along. It, the, at the beginning of the month, everybody was working along as if uh, everything was fine. It, it sounds like um, very few people knew that, that issues were coming up. So basically, all three locations, they came into work in the morning uh, on August the 9th with no indication that anything was wrong. Um, apparently they had even hired people earlier that week and people were, you know, packing up and getting ready to move, uh, to go work for vector launch. So uh, on August, the, the Friday, the 9th, uh, there was an announcement. Basically, uh, they had an internal announcement saying we're closing today and everybody had to pack up and go home. They, they fired, uh, or, or let go 90% uh, of their operation staff. And uh, so on the 9th, um, Jim Cantrell, the CEO, also left. Um, they released an announcement or a, a press release that basically said they had a significant change in financing. Um, we believe that what that means is that their funders, so back in 2017, they picked up um, like $21 million, according to Wikipedia, from Sequoia Capital, Shasta Ventures, and Lightspeed Venture Partners. Um, that was June 2017. It sounds like what happened was those contracts required them to hit certain milestones by certain time periods, and uh, they missed their milestones, so their funders pulled out very suddenly. So anyway, that was on the on the 9th. The reason that we're talking about it now is because uh, on the 16th, 
which is what two weeks later. Oh, I'm so one one week later. They they basically had a a week of running with ten percent of their staff, and then on the sixteenth, um, you start seeing more people fired uh, on LinkedIn or, or let go. Kind of what happened. So there really wasn't any forewarning that this was going to happen. Um, I know that we saw the news earlier in the month, and we we didn't really talk about it because it wasn't clear what was going on. I, I guess we probably should have. Uh, should have covered it, but now we're seeing they're they are totally shutting down mm-hmm. and they don't employ anybody anymore. Um, so the hope, well, the the expectation is that Garvey, um, who started the company, still you know kind of has the rocket bug in him. Um, so hopefully he's gonna go on, you know, be able to buy back his his uh, intellectual property and be able to go do something else. I mean, we saw Firefly you know, rise from the ashes a little bit. So hopefully that's going to happen here as well. But yeah, one of our listeners pointed out that this is uh, a really big thing to not talk about on the show. So we, we do need to talk about it because uh, Vector is a, uh, is a big name. They haven't uh, put anything into space yet, but you know, when you're talking about small sat launch companies, they're within the first couple of companies that you name it, if you're trying to name these companies. So uh, best of luck to all these employees that uh, just lost people. I know everybody's now scrambling for jobs and it's going to be a, a tough little a uh, bit of time in the in the jobs marketplace. So I, I hope that they uh, all land on their feet. Yep. Moving on to short and sweet. This week we have four. I guess to make up for last week's just one, right? So, <laughs> what is our first one, Dennis? Well, first up, Osiris Rex mission has selected candidate sampling sites. Nightingale, Osprey, Kingfisher, and Sandpiper are the names of the four candidate sample selection sites for NASA's OSIRIS-REx mission to the asteroid Bennu. Requiring a relatively smooth surface for sampling, mission scientists were unhappy to find that the asteroid surface was significantly more covered in large boulders than expected. The sampling part of the mission was redubbed Bullseye Tag, touch and go, to reflect this difficulty. After a citizen science campaign to classify the surface terrain, the candidate sites have been identified, which will be narrowed to two sites in December, with the sample collection slated for the latter half of 2020. Uh, next up, Robonaut returns to station. So, yeah, we talked about that last week, actually. I'd kind of forgotten about the fact that Robonaut was not on station. So, Robonaut is returning to the ISS after more than a year on the ground. Robonaut, or technically Robonaut 2, began experiencing problems in 2014 after legs were added to its torso which I also forgot that they did that. Um, the the problem was traced to a degraded power cable, and though a new cable could have been sent up for installation, it was decided to bring Robonaut back to Earth to do a proper repair. The exact date for return to station has not yet been determined, but final verification of Robonaut is underway with a return to service expected sometime later this year. So that's pretty cool. And I'd totally forgotten that Robonaut was not on station, actually. I don't know if either of you did know that, but Time. it slipped my mind. I think he'll be going back up on a dragon or a Cygnus. I think they should put Robonaut in a dragon, kind of like in an actual seat. Oh, you know? like how they had the dummy. Yeah, like... <laughs> That's a great idea. I would love to see, like, a robot riding in a dragon capsule. That would be the coolest thing ever. Not just, like, stowed away, but actually sitting in a seat. Anyway. Right. Uh, thirdfully, Beam is now going to be staying on ISS. So back when we first started talking about Beam... Uh, being installed on ISS. We talked about it in terms of a temporary installation. Well, 
quote, now it's become more of a permanent installation, unquote, says Nathan Wells, an instrumentation lead at NASA. Uh, after the module was expanded and pressurized, it went through leak tests and even had microphones installed to listen for micrometeoroid strikes. Well, now it's proven itself and has begun a new life as a storage closet. Instead of sending it into the atmosphere to burn up, though, NASA has decided they like the extra storage space and have arranged to keep it on station for another five years at minimum. And finally, uh, Virgin Galactic has a couple updates. Uh, first, Virgin Galactic's manufacturing arm, the Spaceship Company, has completed the wings for its third Spaceship 2, with the next major step being the installation into the fuselage. Meanwhile, Spaceport America near White Sands, New Mexico, is now, quote, operationally functional, end quote, with the official opening of the Gateway to Space building. VMS Eve, the White Knight 2 carrier airplane used to carry Virgin's spaceships to high altitude before launch, has arrived at the spaceport with plans to bring the VSS Unity suborbital vehicle there later this year. Okay, stand by. We're looking at it. Questions, comments, and correction burns, and this is just a friendly reminder about the upcoming RPG. So that's happening Friday, August the 30th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time or 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And again, you don't need to have ever played an RPG before to play this one. In the show notes will be a link to the Patreon, the post on Patreon. It's going to be so good. We're going to be playing the Rhesus system, and it's really easy. They're like three pages worth of rules. You basically just pick character attributes to build a character. It's it's really fun and really easy. And uh, I hope that everybody who wants to show up can because yep. we've got a fun a fun little story playing this time. And I'll just say once again, because I know I've said it before, but it is more fun than you think because I'm not an <laughs> RPG player. So I didn't, right, I had right. no idea about any of this, but it kind of grows on you in a very sneaky way. It kind of sneaks up on you like, oh, I, I'm actually enjoying this. You know what I mean? Like, like certain things, like you think you wouldn't like it. Like, hey, let's go hiking if you're not into hiking, but then you yeah. do it. And you're like, hey, I actually like that. It's like that yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. And it's, it's like drinking outdoors. You always think it's going to be too hot, but then you get used to it. And there aren't as many bugs as you thought, and there's also beer. All right, so let's move on to upcoming spaceflight events. Couple launches, couple other things. What's the first thing? Well, first up on August 22nd, we've got a Soyuz uh, 2.1A. Uh, we'll be taking uh, an uncrewed Soyuz mission. So this is MS-14. It's going to be bringing cargo to station, including a somewhat terrifying-looking <laughs> uh, robot, uh, depending on your persuasion. Terrifyingly <laughs> and, um, cool. D yeah, depending terrifying on how cool. fleshy your body is. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, it'll also be uh, uh, demoing a uh, modified motion and navigation control system, as well as... Uh, uh, just the mating to the actual rocket itself. So we need we need to talk about the navigation control or the motion and navigation control system. So the problem mm -hmm. is that the Soyuz FG, which is what the Soyuz capsule normally flies on, it launches from a launch pad that can rotate. The entire thing is on a platter and it can rotate to point the rocket downrange, right? Because your launch azimuth is going to change slightly. The Soyuz 21A or, or the Soyuz 2 um, launches off of a platform that doesn't rotate. And so the vehicle is going to have to have a pitch maneuver or uh, sorry, a roll maneuver before it begins its pitch maneuver. Um, and I'll see if I can remember to link to a video that uh, Tim Dodd, the Everyday Astronaut, published recently, which was really cool, which kind of talked about this a little bit. But the problem is that that roll program potentially, <laughs> this is scary, could potentially trigger 
the launch escape system, which is not digital. It's actually um, like a hard-coded mechanical kind of thing. And so um, they have made some modifications, and hopefully this isn't going to happen. But if you like watching rocket failures, this is the mm -hmm. one to watch because there's, you know, a, a very slim chance uh, you know, this is a this is kind of a first time thing. So there's a very slim chance that something could go wrong here. But yeah, we, we have to talk about that. We can't not talk about that. <laughs> and I think we should also talk about the fact that by later on this year, hopefully there will be two robots on the International yeah. Space Station. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so creepy. Maybe they can have a robot fight. I don't know. <laughs> a zero G robot fight on a space station. Now that's living in the future. You, you know, uh, Professor Atkins is going to kill us if she hears this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So um, if you're interested in maybe seeing uh, that robot uh, explode, yeah. uh, then keep an eye out on August 22nd at 0338 UTC, uh, instantaneous launch out of Baikonur. So that vehicle is going to arrive at ISS on August 24th, which is a Saturday. So the coverage begins at 1245 a.m. Eastern time uh, on NASA TV, and the docking is scheduled for 1.31 p.m. Oh, I'm sorry, 1.31 a.m. Eastern time. So this this begins uh, early, early, early Saturday morning Eastern time. And then on the same day as the launch of uh, that Soyuz, we have uh, a Delta IV in the M plus four two configuration. So medium plus with a four meter fairing and two solid rockets on that second stage. And that is launching GPS three SVO two. I guess that's the name more specifically SVO two. I don't know what that actually refers to because I'm bad with satellite names. But uh, that is launching on the twenty second, and that has a window of 1300 through 1327 so 27 minutes and that's launching from cape canaveral from launch complex 37b so that will be morning time if you're in the states so a good time to watch the rocket launch sv by the way just stands for space vehicle so oh thanks okay, well, that's about as generic as it comes all right space <laughs> yeah. vehicle all right so now we're going to jump uh back in time a little bit to talk about nasa tv so um the IDA is getting installed on the PMA that's currently sticking off the side of the station. Um, so this is, this, uh, EVA is happening on August the 21st, which is Wednesday. So the coverage begins at 6.30 a.m. Eastern time. The spacewalk is scheduled to begin at, uh, 8.20 a.m. Eastern time. And it's going to be a six and a half hour EVA. And then one last thing to mention is right before our next episode comes out. So on Tuesday, the 27th, um, NASA TV will be covering the release of SpaceX Dragon uh, CRS-18. So the coverage begins at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. The release is scheduled at 10.56 a.m. Eastern Time. And that's, uh, yeah, that's fun. Just a, a robot letting uh, a spacecraft go flying. It's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. It's it's fun that this is boring now. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's really satisfying. <laughs> All righty. So those are your upcoming space flight events. All right. And with that, time to deal with the show. And we would like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music. We record live on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much to our $5 and up Patreon supporters, enjoying our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly. If you want to support the show as well, please leave us a review wherever you listen. It's really important, actually. Uh, or visit theorbitalmechanics.com slash support for our Patreon campaign, affiliate links, and other resources. For more information on this episode, 
episodes, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com. Be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. You can talk about the show with other listeners on Twitter and Reddit. We're Orbital Podcast on both, and you can talk directly to us by emailing info at theorbitalmechanics.com. All right, so that's it. We will see you next week on Orbit. Until then, later. Goodbye, everybody. See you. Thank you.